good morning. Uh, welcome to the Continental Breakfast. We're actually recording the show in the morning for once, so I can't even ball this up. Uh, it's Sunday morning, quarter past ten, 27th of June. We've had the first round of the last 16 went off last night. Uh, Denmark thumping Wales and Italy managed to get past Austria in extra time, scoring their first goals ever in extra time in the Euros, by the way, lads, which was quite a mad stat when we heard it last night on TV. And joined by uh, Paddy and Breton this morning to go through the games and look ahead to the two games this evening. One is rather large. Um, lads, if we'll get into the Denmark-Wales game first, if that's okay. I know maybe other people thought the bigger one was maybe Italy being involved, but <clears throat> Paddy, I thought Denmark were absolutely superb last night. Denmark were were fantastic. Like the the, the look, <laughs> it's probably probably the best performance I've seen in the tournament. Full stop. I just thought they were so so composed, so professional. And Wales didn't really have a sniff, despite having you know the three behind the striker all playing at top European clubs. They really really nullified um, Wales' danger men. And yeah, I thought it was such such a complete performance. Like Schmeichel could have laid down a beach towel to be honest. Like he really had a very, very easy day. And I know that a few, a few of the lads have mentioned in the tournament that he's looked a bit ropey on occasion, but he was so good. And with, with some of the guys they have at the back, like Christensen is starting to look like a you know really elite centre-half. Um, and he's always looked he's always looked good. Um, but, you know, considering the last sort of two months he's had with, with obviously coming on in the Champions League final and and playing such a vital role, and then he's looked so assured in the tournament, while also scoring one of the best goals in the tournament. So he was great. I think Wales, you know, can be very disappointed with how they played, but it is such a young side. Like with the exception of of, of Bale and Ramsey, like it really is babies. You know, if you look at their centre halves, although they're they're you know, Mappin was signed for a lot of money, um, although he plays in the Championship now, and and Roden who's playing at at Spurs, and then they've got a, a relatively inexperienced keeper who doesn't doesn't play club football. So if you consider that as a sort of central three players at the back, all very inexperienced and I think it tells like it's very rare that you see a team coming through with two very young centre halves and a keeper. You usually need some sort of experienced head in there and Denmark had that in spades like Kier's been around for years. Vestergaard and Christensen are solid Premier League players and I think that was uh that really told in the end. And you could tell Paddy as well. Sorry. With, the, with the, um, the players that were bringing off the bench wheels to try and change the game. Like, also so young and so inexperienced. Like, obviously, none of them probably never been at a, at a major tournament before, but, you know, they probably haven't even played too big of a game in your games with, with their clubs. So, um, it, it was hard for. Um, Rob Page to you know try and affect the game that way, especially when um, I know Phil, you were really rattling and raving about the the uh, Denmark manager, the way he um, looked at it in the first ten fifteen minutes when Wales were on top, and he he, he tactically changed it and got it so right with moving Christensen in, into the base of that midfielder, and, and ever since then, and you know Bale and Ramsey had very little effect on the game, so. Um, he can do that, you know, with his squad and, and the players he's got. Um, but Wales, you know, we've we've seen them up and down so far in the tournament, and it it's kind of it works with what they've got. They're 
their best eleven, or it just doesn't on the day, and it's hard to make a change when you know the the players coming in are so inexperienced. Yeah, but <clears throat> sorry, but the two things like I wanted to say that Christensen uh, moved because obviously you being a Chelsea fan and watching Christensen and watching him come through, what you made made of him going into midfield. So we'll come back to that. But on the change that Rob Page made. I don't understand them bringing on Nico Williams ahead of Chris Gunther. You know they needed an experienced head, as you just mentioned, Paddy, to come in there. Chris Gunther, I think he's still is he still not in the forest. Um, very very senior pro. Is he not the record caps holder for Wales as well? To he come is, in just yeah. and settle that side a little bit and and like uh, yeah, I'm a Liverpool fan. Nico Williams is a Liverpool player, but he wouldn't. He was not the sub out of me when I saw him coming on. I was a wee bit worried, and then unfortunately. He does fluff his lines for the clearance um, that gives Dolberg the the second goal. But I, I, it was really strange. I thought that from Rob Page, like why he didn't go for the experience, just to try and settle things down and grow into the game. Then, but um, on Christensen, Brandy, what what did you make of him stepping in the midfield and, and playing so well? I thought <clears throat> I I think he's he's been a man possessed. Um, for as Paddy says the. The last sort of three or four months, um, and he's he just took his fall from Chelsea right through into this tournament, and he, I, I must say, Denmark from from one to eleven last um last night or yesterday evening were, were fantastic. Like the you know you could have picked the out subs. yeah you, you could have picked out um you know highlight reels for for all of them um that's what I was um. I was even saying to you when when Cornelius came on, like you, goodness, like why has he not got more game time? And and um, he he was really, he was obviously involved in the um, Braithwaite goal heavily, um, but there was there was a few times where he, he couldn't get him off the ball. He was bouncing off player and player, um, looked so strong, so quick, um, and, and has an eye for a pass. But um, yeah, going back to Christensen. Um, he he's been fantastic, and that really suits him. That three at the back, um. But he, even there, when when he went into midfield, like he he's very quick and he's quite good at reading the game. Um. So as soon as the ball was played into, especially Ramsey's feet, you know he was up his ass. He was not giving him any time to turn. He was nicking the ball, and you know he has an eye for a pass when he does win the ball as well. Um. And he was just he was just breaking up the play, and yeah. Wheels after that couldn't get any rhythm, um, and he was just a disturber. Do you know what I mean? He, he and sometimes that it goes unnoticed that sort of work because it's it's not glamorous, um, but I think people did appreciate that yesterday, <clears throat> probably because it wasn't happening, and then the change was made, and and it made you could see how much of a difference it made. Um, so yeah, I think uh, even. Um, we were talking yesterday after the game, you know, that he's in line to, to be in, in team of the tournament because of the level of performances he's putting in. And, yeah, it's really good to see. You know, <laughs> Tuchel's probably looking at it and going, well, I wonder could he step in the midfield for us? <laughs> I think as well, not only himself for team of the tournament, but, Paddy, there's so much made of flying fullbacks in world football now. We know ourselves, and sort of you, Breton, with, with our teams and Liverpool and Chelsea with what goes on and how important they can be but Mele from and I hope I pronounced that right from Denmark was absolutely unbelievable yesterday 
again. Yeah, he's been incredible the whole tournament. Like he's been been such a <laughs> such a threat down down the flanks. Um, and he took his took his goal very well. So yeah, it it seems to be a, a trend in the tournament, as you say, with you know Spinazzola and and and, and Mela and others just sort of really catching the eye from fullback positions. Maybe it's something that you know the likes of Trent and and, and Robertson have kind of revolutionised the position a bit, and it seems to be such a such an important role at the moment. He he was great, and Damsgaard's been involved in so many goals in the tournament. He um he looks great, like uh, and yeah, he's so he young as well. So, yeah, I thought Denmark were were very good value. Wales, Wales will, will go again. Young team, and um, they seem very together. You know, it seems like a very good bunch of people that get on. Like I remember, I remember hearing a thing in Euro twenty sixteen. Chris Gunter and Ramsey are like best mates. They came through the ranks at Cardiff together, and uh, before they played England in Euro twenty sixteen, uh, Gunter got the hotel staff to put a camp out in Aaron Ramsey's room because so they could sleep together. It was like you know wee things like that. They're just a very together side and I think you know if they can um, sort of build build on that experience and and and, uh, and and go again you know we could see them at another major tournament soon so um, yeah it was it was a very very enjoyable enjoyable game but yeah Denmark looked exceptional like like men possessed you know and, and that's obviously riding on that emotional wave of, of yeah. seeing their friend become so ill like it, it seems to really have you know stoked fires in all of the bellies before we move on, I was driving home last night from, from Brenton's house after watching the match, and uh, I had 6.06 on, <clears throat> and obviously Robbie Savage was on, who was commenting on the game, and, and he was very very good, he was saying, look, we didn't deserve anything from this, we were absolutely smashed, Denmark were the better team, but he seemed to be indicating that Wales have been hard done by, by the tournament, as in the travelling they've had to do, whereas... Denmark have been based in Copenhagen for three games, and they've gone to Amsterdam. And he said, "Like Wales look absolutely busted tonight. Now they weren't they weren't good enough anyway." But he said that might have added to it. Do you think there's something in that? Like, I think, think that's bullshit. Um, right, fair enough, Paddy. Going ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to no, say, go like, I always think that's bullshit because, um, you know, yes, yes, have to travel. Everyone's going to have to travel in some way. Obviously, England and, and Denmark and a few others have been able to play games at home, but they. Guys aren't traveling in Ryanair with their knees around their their shoulders, like you know they're traveling, um, you know first class, probably flat beds, you know. Yes, there might be a bit of a change in time zone, but I think they're professional footballers. They all play games in in Europe during the season. They should be well used to it. I'm sure they're treated very well, and I I think it's a really lousy excuse, um, personally. Would you go with that, Paddy? Or, sorry, I was Paddy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I think especially because they, they played their last game in Rome before that uh, at Denmark game. They played against Italy in Rome on, on Sunday, and then um, obviously Denmark yesterday in Amsterdam. So you know that's not too much of a track to be honest. If they were. You know, going from straight from Baku to Amsterdam within a couple of days, okay, maybe you could argue that it affected them. But they've had plenty of, you know, plenty of time to rest in between there. And as Paddy says, they're, they're top professional athletes. So the recovery they would have and all the work that would be done on them, I, I don't think you can use that as an excuse. I think just Denmark were much, much better on the day. Yeah, I, I don't. Even they were talking as well last night about how 
if Wales had been allowed fans in, I don't think that would have even mattered if it was played in a capacity uh, Principality Stadium in, in Cardiff. Denmark were the better side or the better side. I think this Denmark side, they'll face probably either Holland or is it Czech Republic. Isn't it next round that they face? Either <clears> those two yeah. teams, whoever wins the night. Like, whoever gets, whoever gets comes through that is in for a very, very tough quarterfinal. Um, so that'll be a cracking quarterfinal too. Um, the other game um, last night. Well, sorry, sorry. Well, go I was ahead. just going to mention quickly, quickly before I move on. Yeah. I thought Harry Wilson's tackle was so so petulant and stupid. I actually yeah. hated watching that. I was like, he's clearly just lost the rag there, and they were giving off that it wasn't a red. He was nowhere. He knew the ball was nowhere near. Like, and I just think it was like a disgusting tackle. I know it wasn't like a leg breaker, as they say, and he wasn't over the ball, but it was it was vicious and. He went in to hurt someone in a in a sort of frustrated way. So um, I think if he hadn't got red carded, he would have got someone would have emptied him. Yeah, yeah. You know, a Danish player would have emptied him in the next tackle because it was just passion. He lost he lost his head um, and thing. I know people were giving off about it, but maybe people oh, what's the point in red carding so late in the game? But he shouldn't have been a dick then. Do you know what I mean? It was just yeah. Uh, yeah I, I I agree with you there. Like, and, and I think anyway, the referee did him a favour from getting obviously boofed by someone uh, in the Danish midfield or defence. After that, um, we will touch on the referees towards the end of the show because I know VAR yesterday was taking far too long, especially in our next game we're going to chat about. But one of the tournament favourites, and and I still think they'll win it. I'm still going to stick with it. I think they'll win it. Um, they played Austria last night. Started well, Breton, for like 20 minutes and then tailed off until extra time. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's the long and short of it. Um, the uh, they had a couple of couple of chances um, early on. I think you know Ibobla especially looked bright, um, and then he obviously he hit the bar um, with a, an absolute rasper. But um, apart from that. Didn't do a whole pile else. Had a had a relatively quiet game, um, and Italy. You know they were they seemed to be. I think that's what uh, we had maybe discussed on a previous pod. They have a lot of opportunities. They, they have a lot of chances um, in the final third, but you know probably especially in Senia is 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 um, decision making. I don't think is top level. Um, I think he he gets into his his movement and um, his speed gets him into those areas. Just you know, in round the box, um, a couple of times he maybe could have taken a few more touches. He could have rolled somebody in, um, but he was trying that you know, inside stepping into the inside of his foot and trying to bend it into the far corner. He tries that far too much. Like um, it's it's so predictable. Um, but yeah, I think Ferrari probably started the game well and, and maybe got tired as well. Um, it's intense for a player who's been injured to, to come into to these level of games. Um, yeah, nobody I would just was maybe on on the top level for Italy. Um, but also, you know, you'd have to say fair play to Austria because they stuck in there, they defended well, um, and they actually didn't didn't sit. And invite Italy on that much, you know. I thought, um, you know, Limer especially was was breaking lines, getting through midfield, and and trying to create something. Um, Italy, you know, tried to 
to sort of push on and, and at times um Arnautovic was 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 getting away. Um, you know, he's maybe on his own against two or three athlete defenders, but he was causing some problems and um I just maybe think with, with Kealini out there it was a it was a I'm not saying, you know, they they weren't up to the level, but it was just a little bit different for them and Benucci a couple of times made made we we urge and and just wasn't sure who was behind him etc um but yeah I, I think it was a combination of of Austria actually being much more up for it than than people thought and Italy just not being quite at the top level um I think they were you know Italy got away with one obviously with the Arnautovic header he was offside but you know cut us so easily been one nil and then we all know what would have happened there you know Austria would have sat in and and relied on on that defense that um that had been been keeping them out um but yeah I think once the the changes were made in extra time um Chiesa when he came on looks absolutely fired up for it um he was trying to get on the end of everything eventually did took his goal really well and Piscina the same um, I think they just had fresh legs with with quality, and that's what what got them through in the end. I think a couple of those lads have maybe made a case for for starting the the quarterfinal. And it'd be interesting to see now what Mancini does because you know he's he's cutthroat. You know he he not um he not look at that and and look at it with any emotion. Um, I think there's there's a couple of couple of changes that could be made, especially you know across midfield. And uh, that front three. Paddy, do you think, like, not? I think you said to me last night, Brett. Not every team that wins a tournament plays unreal in every match. I think we were talking about it. Do you think this was just a case of Italy coming up against a really determined and gritty Austria side that they just find really hard to break down, and actually coming over that and beating them in extra time? will spring them on now into the tournament. I mean, they'll have a tough game next. They'll play here to beat wins between Portugal and Belgium. It's hard to know. You know, they're a very routine group stage um, and probably, you know, what in hindsight looked like quite a quite a weak group. Um, and that this kind of was a, was a stiffer test that no one expected. I expected very little from Austria, to be honest. I've seen them play a couple of times uh, Northern Ireland lately and have been really unimpressed. But they had the absolute game of their lives. I thought they were Fantastic. Arnautovic looked like Zlatan, you know, peak Zlatan yesterday. His feet were <laughs> unbelievable. His hold-up play, um, you know, and Arnautovic has that in his locker. On his day, he can be unbelievable, but he seems to have yeah. just problems with attitude and um, falls out with a lot of people. But on his day, he, he can can be so good. So he was superb at the top, and Sabitzer, you know, is a class player, and as Brendan says, Lamer was great breaking the lines and I couldn't believe how his engine that it was amazing um, but yeah Italy Italy were disappointing and I agree with what Brandon said totally because I'd written it down about Insignia he, he was so predictable um, oh he was driving me he, nuts he was insane like you know and there was toward, towards the end of the, the game I think it was maybe maybe whenever they brought Berardi off he, he seemed to drift a wee bit more centrally and he picked some lovely wee passes and I think He's, you know, in a ten role, he would be perfect in Sydney. But him wide in the left, I just didn't like it. Um, and I thought Berardi had a uh, Berardi had a sort of weak game. So when Chiesa came on, he was great. Like the quality coming off their bench, uh, as Brennan pushed on, was sensational. Um, you know, Chiesa 
is a guy who you have an obligation to sign for 50 million euro and they're bringing him off off the bench and he scored a superb goal. I thought Bellotti, when he came on, just offered something slightly different and created space for others. And, you know, he's someone who's plundered Serie A for years. Um, for, for Torino, he scores kind of one and two near enough. Um, he was great. And then, like, we've all talked, praise Locatelli, like he classy midfielder with him coming on. But I think that in terms of the, the changes, like, I'm just looking at it there, Italy made four changes in normal time uh, yeah. towards the end of normal time. And, and Austria only made one. And, you know, Austria looked dead in their feet. There was a guy who went off with cramp who they took off towards the end of the game. And then Austria then made five changes in extra time, kind of when the game was nearly gone, uh, when, it was, when it was at 2-0. Um, and it was kind of like a stable door. You know, the horse had already bolted kind of thing. I know they got one back, but I, I didn't see them ever coming back from two. I just wondered if they'd been more proactive with the substitutions and freshened it up a wee bit. Um, if they could have counteracted that quality coming off the Italian bench, but listen, you know Italy are still in it. They're still fighting, and they will will go on and look like one of the look like one of the favourites for sure. I, I I thought as well. Um, I know I know other managers do do it, but it, it annoys me sometimes when a manager will stick two wide men in the front three that are both going to cut inside all the time. I think it makes it so narrow, especially. Like Austria had pinned uh, Di Lorenzo back, he wasn't getting forward at all uh, during the nineties. Spinazzola was because he's a kamikaze pilot and he does what he wants, but Di Lorenzo wasn't getting down that line at all. So Brody was sort of always on his own, and then having to cut inside, and the real just block him constantly. And I thought, I know they did win the games to look silly now, but I think Mancini could have changed Chiesa and Brody a bit earlier. They could have done it a bit yeah. sooner, and they, they could have got this done yeah. and dusted before it went to extra time. I think he did leave it, and, and Mancini's been superb. Like He's broke the record now for Italian uh, management. was 32 games unbeaten, uh, 12 wins in a row. That's his first goal they've conceded in those 12 games. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's doing an unreal job, but I, I did mm-hmm. think, I was like, come on, man. I was shouting, Brent knows sitting beside me, telling him to change it earlier. Like, it's something needed to change, especially... In the midfield as well, Locatelli and Pazina came on. Pazina offered a bit different to Topperella was poor at times. Some lovely touches, but he just wasn't creating enough. And Verratti still come back in match fitness, so he was never going to last the full full game. But there were a lot of choices, Italy. That's what I think, and I don't think people realise that that many choices and that many options to come on. So I still have them as favourites. I still think whoever comes out of this game tonight. Um, I th- I still think Italy'll beat them, um. So that'll be such a cracking game here that is. But we we'll, we will sh- soon move on to tonight's games. I wanted to touch on quickly, Paddy, with yourself mostly. Uh, VAR, because I know you're such a big fan of it, and how you thought it worked last night, especially in that Italy Austria game. What did you make of VAR and the length of time to make those decisions? You teed me up there, lovely. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was so frustrated. I was, I was so frustrated watching. I was like screaming at the TV. Is like, hurry the fuck up! It's so dull. Like even, you know, the Arnautovic goal was maybe ninety seconds, and then what was the other decision? There was another one that went to VAR for a while. Second of penalty for on Lamer. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, even that was just oh. It's so frustrating, and we were speaking in our wee WhatsApp group, like, even if we could hear the communication between the VAR official and the referee, 
saying, oh, I'm checking for this. I'm checking to see if there's a touch from from the defender. I'm checking to see where the person's elbow is. Even if we could hear that and be informed, but instead of this just 90 seconds of, of filler, basically, from commentators who also don't know what's happening, um, and it just slows it down. It takes this thing out of the game. It reduces the emotion. It's just absolute shit. And it, it has worked well at times during the, the tournament. It's been much quicker. But that yesterday and in the Wales game was just absolute horseshit. Like, it would nearly make you want to turn it off at times, um, which is such a shame because it was such an intriguing game. But that definitely just ground my gears. Um, that and the other thing that ground my gears, two things. Um, Mancini's still not wearing a belt. He needs to wear a belt with two <laughs> trousers. I, I love the rest of his get-up. Like, his regalia is unbelievable, but come on. Second thing, and uh, Sabitzer wore number nine. He thought... Why yes, I noticed that like, in midfield. That, that, that wound me up as well. One of my pet hates, and, and this is uh, something that Brandon will remember, Khaled Bouderouz, I remember him signing defender, signing for Chelsea years ago. I think he wore nine. Remember William Gallas playing for for Arsenal possibly weren't ten. Yeah. Um, just those little number things really pissed me off. So VAR belt numbers all annoying. Another thing that annoyed me last night in the officials was the let play go when an Italian player was clearly offside for ages, ages, yes. and then pulled, lifted the flag and called an offside. Like, it was far, far, it was comical how long it was. Um, and it's no surprise, really, that probably the this, this most stupid-looking referee in the seasons and performance so far in the tournament has come from a gang of Premier League officials. But, um, I mean, we all knew that was going to happen. Um, Italy through, Denmark through. Interesting to see how they get on next. They'll find out who they play next after tonight's games. Um, when the first one up is Holland hosting the Czech Republic, which I think is in Baku. Um, I think it's in Baku, and then after that, Budapest. Sorry, and then after that, in the sweltering heat of Seville, will be um, Portugal and Belgium. On Holland and Czech Republic, Brenton, how do you see this one going? Same scared now um, to say anything because my predictions have been so wrong. Um, I must say though that. I can hold my head high enough because it took those two assholes about 15 minutes to find out who Locatelli was. So um, I feel like I'm, you know, a bit redeemed at that, that situation. What, um, what two assholes could you be? Could you be meaning there? Well, there, there's there's five of us on this podcast. Three of us are here now, so you can work that out. Um, <laughs> the Dudley boys. <laughs> I'm calling them the Locatelli boys from now on. I think. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I don't know if this will be a straightforward way to say this and then winning six 0 But um, I don't know if it will be as straightforward for the Netherlands as it looks on paper. Um, just like that Italy game, um, the Czechs have. You know, we 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 saw we saw them in that first game against Scotland look impressive, um, and. They gave they gave England a game too. Well, although England, you know, don't didn't look particularly impressive themselves, but um, I just think they'll when it gets to this stage, teams aren't gonna teams aren't really gonna lie down 
Um, and I know that you don't like dynamic game, but we saw that Austria got themselves really up for it um, last night against Italy. And just because it's a bigger team, like a bigger international team, a, a bigger name, the Czechs, you know, will want to will want to prove themselves on this stage. And, and you know, they've done relatively well in the past. Like, um, I think any time they've been knocked out of the of the European Championships, they've been knocked out by, a, you know, quite a big team. You know, they've got to, um, I think, the the year Greece won it. Uh, they got to the semi-final. Um, they had Germany in the final they, in 96 as well. Yeah. Um, I think Portugal... Um, in the quarters in 2012, so you know they're no they're no pushovers, um, and we we've, we've seen that they do have talent as well. You know, Schick up top can when there's someone like that on a team, and the the rest of the team is prepared to to work hard and behind them. You know, there's there's you know players throughout that team like Soufal, Soucek, um, and then. If you have Schick, who has the ability to do something, and um, we we nearly saw it last night with with Arnautovic, you know the um, the Austrian team were prepared to work hard, get back, um, get into their shape, and you know try and let him and um, maybe Alaba to a certain extent when it comes to set pieces, etc. Um, you know produce something. So <clears throat> I think we'll we'll maybe see that sort of a performance again. I don't think it's um, you know, I don't think it's nailed on that that the Netherlands are going to cruise through this one. Um, and as well as that, we have seen that the Netherlands in the first game against probably a similar opposition, you would say, at Ukraine, um, in crazy spells, you know, they they can concede goals. So I, I would say, you know, it could be quite low scoring and um, possibly could go beyond the ninety minutes and. I can just the Netherlands maybe squeezing through. Paddy, uh, uh, Brent's on a lovely bit of Jimmy Redden upset on the fence there. What do you make of this Netherlands and Czech Republic game? How do you see it going? I see I see Holland going through. Um, I, I do like as Brent said. Czech Republic have a few very good players and a few that we would see sort of every week in the Premier League. You know, Sushek is proven himself to be one of the most astute signings in the last 18 months for a Premier League side and he's such a threat from set pieces and, and Sheck seems to be in incredible form but um, as I always apologise for seeing everything through uh, international football through the Northern Ireland lens I saw Northern Ireland play Czech Republic in Covid times and, and even we beat them in Prague so I, I just fancy I just fancy Holland to win. I, I think Holland are fallible. Like, I don't think they're good enough to win the tournament, but I think they have uh, more than enough to overcome uh, the Czechs. Um, so I, I may well have egg in my face after being so confident in that prediction, but um, I just think that the quality, and especially in midfield areas for Holland, like Wijnaldum, looks to be in the form of his life, um, and I just love watching the Cliff football. Uh, and Daron is kind of like a mixture of the two. Um, so I just think they'll have enough. The I think they will have enough. I think we've. I think we've. We've. We were in Belfast when Northern Ireland beat Czech Republic two 0 Was that right, Paddy? Were you at that game? It was years. It was oh. years ago for the World Cup. Yeah, Chris, yeah, probably, Chris probably was. Before. I can't even think which campaign it was. Uh, for the 2018 World Cup. Yes. 
Did Gabriel yeah. Salasi plan for them? I remember. Um, yeah. Yeah, they were they were quite weak. About the, they're, yeah, stro- they're, they're stronger now than they were oh, then, probably. But um, yeah, like Northern Ireland beat them three two there in Czech Republic. It's definitely during COVID. It might have been like last autumn in a friendly. Uh, Paddy McNair turned into uh, Patrick Vieira for for an hour, um, and I think he scored a couple. That's right, he did. Um, I th- I think Holland Paddy broke through this. And I, yeah. and I, th- I think um, I think they'll come through the 90 the difference was in the Ukraine game they didn't have the lick and I think him coming in now has added up more uh, solidity to that defence um, I think they'll have too much for for the Czech Republic tonight the, the Czech Republic are as you both said a, a, a decent side and Schick's shown that in, like in a tournament a striker can just get on form and then he can just score from well from anywhere he, he's shooting in Scotland Um <clears throat> But I do think Holland will come through this. And they've had Gini Wijnaldum, who's had such a brilliant tournament. Memphis Depay as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's a five o'clock game. It's a nice Sunday kickoff <clears throat> for me to lead us on to the big one, which I think, I don't know what you two think. Well, I think I know what Brent thinks, but I think this is the biggest game of the last 16 tonight. Um, I think this is the two best teams playing against each other rather than we saw Germany and England stuttered. Portugal started at times too, but I think Belgium and Portugal, Paddy, what a Sunday evening that is for a football match. Oh, really, really looking forward to this. Um, yeah, I think I, I agree. I think it's the, the standout game of, of the tournament so far. Um, two, two heavyweights coming up against each other. Um, some just remarkable football players on both both sides. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what happens. I I'm gonna I'm gonna just make a prediction, and I oh, actually fancy goes. Portugal to go, I fancy Portugal to go through. Um, wow. Yeah, I I just think uh, it's something we've touched on a bit about the Belgians Belgium's aging backline. They haven't come up against any sort of genuine pace and, and an attacking sort of side yet. And I just think with with Ronaldo and Jota buzzing around, like he's just inexhaustible. And uh, you know Sanchez possibly starting this game and, and breaking from midfield and and Bernardo Silva's kind of creativity. I just think Belgium. This is going to be their first first proper test, and uh, I don't know. I just I just I just think Portugal might might do it. Well, there is talk as well uh, this morning that Nuno Mendes might get a shout. The flying fullback from Sporting Lisbon. I mean that'll be. For Santos to fire him in, he's only I think he's only eighteen. You know, Mendes to fire him in into this game it, it will be some effort, but I think he's well able for it. So be interested to see what happens there. Breton, how do you see this one going? Do you see your boy Ronaldo um, putting Belgium to the sword? <laughs> it's very very possible. Um, <clears throat> when he's on the pitch, anything's possible. Really, usually we've seen so far um, that somehow he makes himself a story. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think that, you know, it's a good point about selection for Portugal. We saw against Spain that obviously Fernandez was dropped and it definitely made them better, Portugal, in the midfield. Um, Sanchez was superb. He was maybe their best player on the night. Um, he was able to actually show a bit of genuine pace in there and um, connect, um, connect the team right throughout. Uh, you know, he was, he, there was a couple of times he, he made some great runs past even Kante and maybe one free kicks on the outside of the box. Got the whole team up the pitch against France. Um, and obviously they ended up drawing the game against the, the pre-tournament favourites. So, um, and I also think 
maybe way before the tournament started in our preview pod, but um the the Portuguese um the Portuguese squad in general is is really deep and really talented. Yeah. Like they're able to bring on a lot of quality players. Obviously, it seems as if Fernandez isn't going to start um, because they didn't really miss him, to be honest. And then when he came on, he didn't do a whole pile. Um, I think you were saying, you know, he hasn't really shone for in a Portugal shirt so far. Um, you know, but we can see that players they do bring on over the group stages, like Rafa Silva had a massive impact when he came on. Um, I know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Did you maybe touch on that at one stage? Um, one night in the WhatsApp group, um, <laughs> I, did, yes. I searched Rafa Silva. There'll probably be about 15 or 16 messages. Um, but yeah, um, Joe Felix as well. I don't know if we've even seen him yet in this tournament. Ruben Navas sure. obviously came on against France was good. Um, so I think that can that can affect the game. Um, I think it's. It'll just be whether uh, that the Belgian, you know, those those world class stars. Let's face it, um, I think they probably have more of those in their team, and it's whether they can take over the the um, the final third of the pitch and and score the goals. But I think the the point is right about um, about the the Belgian defence uh, for all the talent they have going forward. There is definitely some some issues there at the back, um, and Paddy's right. You know, Jota, although I don't think he's had the most convincing tournament. Uh, we know what he's capable of. You two especially know, and if he, you know, if he gets on a bit of a confidence run, he can really annoy those um, those Belgian sort of aging Belgian defenders. Um, and we also know how good Portugal are on, on the counter attack. Um, and if if that game takes takes that sort of a a rhythm, and um, we probably think Belgium will dominate the ball. There's there's always an opportunity there for for Portugal with the the players they have to um, to do them on the counter and um, see out the game, which you know we know they're so good at. So it's it's absolutely fascinating. There's there's world class talent all over the pitch. I just hope we get um you know a similar game to to that wild Group F um <laughs> the, the group games the other night you know where the players and the teams are so highly thought of that uh, the match hopefully will will live up to it. Would you then start with both of you there? You would start Renato Sanchez tonight for Portugal. Yeah, I would. Uh, me, me too. I think just that that threat coming from coming through the centre of midfield is frightening for people. He just runs straight at people. I think he would be very valuable against this Belgian side. And I think I would probably start Moutinho as well. It, it worked. I know they conceded two goals, but it worked. That midfield of Moutinho, Sanchez, and Pereira worked quite well against France. So I think I probably would go with and, and, him again. And so I'll also say. That came off, you know the, the you can you can start them and, and play them mm-hmm. for for sixty seventy minutes, but you know you're not really sacrificing talent um, when when they have put in a shift and and you know you you then bring them off unless um, unless Santos wants to 
try and do something to to nullify De Bruyne, especially uh, coming through midfield um, by playing. I don't know, you know, Carvalho and just to yeah. just to sit on him. Um, but who knows that you know that's a real that's a tactical decision that he'll have to make because you know if anybody is is gonna create something and in that midfield it's it's defraud. <laughs> Listen, if if Belgium get hooked and put out tonight and he doesn't do a single thing, I am having half an hour to myself in the podcast later to roast him <laughs> and then, and everyone else in this podcast. Um, so Kevin, if you're listening, it's time to turn up, my friend. Um, I think I'll do this for I, this I, morning. I'm, yeah, go ahead, Paddy. I was gonna say I'm so glad that you have a, a really weird football opinion that 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 the uh, Medi even is more weird than mine. It makes me feel better. Yours is nonsensical. Mine is that he, yes, he's a good player, but this heap of praise of him being like changing the face of midfield when like he hasn't he hasn't done it yet. Like is mad. Whereas you don't think Mo Salah is a good footballer yet. He's smashing all club records all around him. They can get anywhere near. So I just hope Liverpool don't ever sign Insignia because you'll end up self-combusting watching two of them play for Liverpool. I don't think you'd be able to take it. Um. At least none of you said that Spinazzola would be uh, at least weak point. <laughs> oh my goodness. Literally about to win the Ballon d'Or. It is absolutely wild. Um, he got man of the match last night as well too. I liked it out of badness. But yes, we've made some horrible predictions in this podcast and we'll continue to do so because that's how we do. Um, and we have some of the worst football opinions we'll ever hear. But I mean, it's our podcast. We'll see what we want. I think I'll do this for this morning. Um the game's kicking off at 5 and then 8, so we'll be back on later this evening to touch on those two games and then look ahead to tomorrow, which I think sees France and Switzerland out, as well as, what is the other game tomorrow, actually? I forgot. Is it Sweden-Ukraine? No, that's Tuesday. It's Croatia-Spain, I think. Croatia-Spain. So another two decent yeah. games tomorrow as well to look ahead to. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, catching us on all our social media channels at the Football Bubble Pod. Thank you as well <laughs> to my optician yesterday morning. He was testing my eyes. Um, and then... <laughs> subscribe to the podcast afterwards so thank you sir hope you're enjoying it a big chelsea man um well, get all your eyes because of your de bruyne opinion <laughs> yeah i think so he said they're a wonky though which is mad um and also uh catch all our stuff on your podcast apps just search for the football bubble pod and you'll find us there brett and the patreon link for the listeners please patreon.com forward slash football babble one pound a month you get all of us talking your nonsense. Sports the pod. Thank you very much. Chat to you later. Enjoy the football. Good luck. <laughs>